0: Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We're honored that you're here, and we pray that you find this message both encouraging and inspiring. In part two of... This is home, and I want to talk this morning about um, the type of church that we're becoming, the type of church that we are to grow into, the type of church that I believe that Jesus really saw, and how we can grow not only into that, but really how we can go back to that. Because I think the church has moved so far away from what Jesus originally wanted with his church that it's not that we're gonna grow into it, it's that we need to go backwards. And how many of you know sometimes you gotta go backwards before you can go forward? How many of you have ever been stuck on a four wheeler before? You gotta slam that baby in reverse and then you gotta hit that mud hole hundred and ten miles an hour and pray to God that you make it and don't go to the hospital. Yeah. I have so many stories about that. If I were to start we would not be here we would be here for a long time today but i i want to just start with this this morning i'm going to speak on the subject the death of shame the death of shame how many of you know that shame exists for a number of reasons but i want to talk about how we can kill shame by becoming a home where people belong instead of an institution that people are just radically committed to. And so I want to talk about how we eliminate shame in that way. And so I want to go to John 21, and I want to start reading. And I don't really have where I'm going to stop reading, but I am going to read this for a minute. So we might be here for a few weeks. We may not. I don't know. I'll tell you, I can. if you want the answer to that question, I'll have it probably this afternoon sometimes, because I usually write my sermons for the next Sunday on Sunday afternoon. That's just the way my brain works. So I have all week to think about it. So John 21, if you have your sermon notes, it may say John 21 at the top. If not, that's where we're at. (laughs) Um, And if you need your sermon notes online, um, you can go to our website. They're online there. So says this, Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Now, this is after Jesus has um, died on the cross, been resurrected, and Peter has just denied Jesus. And we pick up. With Peter's life here. It says this, I'm going fishing. And they said, we'll come too. They all said, so that they all, we'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach and called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied, we haven't. Jesus, we have not. We need some fish. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did. And they could not haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. The disciple Jesus, who Jesus loved, which is John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard this, heard that it was the Lord, he put on his clothes, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to the shore. The others stayed with the boat, pulled it in, and loaded the nets to shore, for they were only about 100 yards from the the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire, and some bread. Bring some of the fish that you've just caught, Jesus said. So Peter went and dragged the net to the shore, and there were 153 large fish, and the net hadn't yet torn. Peter really didn't know how to fish if he only had 153. It's not, it's not a lot of fish. I've broken a many a laws fishing for crappie. We've caught way more than 153 fish before. Peter didn't know what he was doing. Needs new bait, sounds like. Jesus said, None of the disciples dared to ask, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to the disciples after he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these fish? Yes, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then Jesus said, feed my lambs. If you love me, then do what I've asked you to do. Jesus repeated the same question, Simon son of John, do you love me? Yes, Peter said, you know I love these more than or you know I love you more than these. Take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And a third time he asked, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked him the question a third time and he said, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. And then he said, then feed my sheep. I think it's interesting that the Bible says that Peter was hurt when he asked him a third time. It did something to him. It, something happened when Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he was hurt. And I think a lot of times, this is just a this is just a tangent. Every, every bit of pain that you experience from Jesus in the church is not church hurt. It's not church hurt. It's not. Jesus says hard things. He takes you back to places that, that, that are not comfortable, that are not fun. And he deals with all of the issues going on within you there. I want to pray for us this morning, then we'll move on. Jesus, I thank you for your presence today in this room. I thank you for the people in this room today, Lord. Let shame die in all of our lives. Shame for all the many reasons that we carry it. Let it die to us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Jansen, you good, dog. You good. Everybody give it up for Jansen in the house. <laughs> Have y'all ever watched the... I actually had this thought about Jansen. I didn't get I didn't get time to make it around to him uh, during uh, our meet and greet, but I had this thought about Jansen. Have y'all ever seen the... There's a Christian comedian, and he does these like bits, like and he says, I ain't praying for that. Like things that people ask him to pray for, and he's just like, I ain't praying for that. And so when Jansen was on the keyboard earlier today, and we were doing the declarations, that's exactly how his face looked, even though I know that he wants God to bless him. But he was like, looking. and he's like, I ain't praying for that. <laughs> I ain't praying for that. And I got cracked up. So I want to read a quote to you this morning, and then I'll dive into the rest of the message. Um, this is from John Ortenberg. Um, he's a pretty solid dude. If you ever get the chance to read John Ortenberg, I would probably capitalize on that opportunity. This is what he wrote. If ever there were a true, just as I am church, If ever there were a community where everybody could bring all of their baggage and brokenness with them. If ever there were a group where everyone was loved and no one pretended. We could not make room enough inside our buildings. If ever there were a true just as I am church. If ever there were a community where everyone could bring all their baggage and brokenness with them. If ever there were a group of people where everyone was loved and no one pretended, we could not make room enough inside of our buildings. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about really in our This Is Home series what is what makes Hope Unlimited home for so many people. And I don't feel like that we've completely become one of these places where everyone can bring all of their baggage, all of their shame, all of their issues, all of their brokenness, and be real about it. I don't think any church has completely become that, but I for sure think that we're on the path to be that, right? I think we're on the path to be a church where people can come literally just as they are, right? We have said for years and years and years... We want you to come just as you are unless you have a particular set of issues. Then we don't want you to come just as you are. And if you do come just as you are, you need to change immediately. Because in order to belong to this church or this institution or whatever, you have to live a certain way and have these certain belief systems. And I think that's bad. (laughs) I don't think that's good. I think it does more damage than it does good. I think it causes more pain than it does bring healing. But most of all, I think it puts shame on people more than anything else in the world. And I believe that the church is called to bring death to shame. I believe that's the job of us living inside of Jesus in, in 2022, the same way it was in, in 1 AD and 2 AD, we are called to bring death to people's shame the same way that those people did in those times, we're called to do those same things today. But I'm afraid that the way that we have built churches and the way that we have structured churches, that we don't kill shame, we actually breed it, right? We actually breed shame. And one of the things that I know is that when you go home, when you go to a church, or when you go home, and this is what I want Hope Unlimited to become, When you go home today, you're going to go home with all of your baggage, all of your issues, all of your problems. You're going to go home, and you're going to relax, and you're going to go about your life. Brittany, are you in here now? Is that you and Arlo in the back? Everybody give it up for Brittany (laughs) Stevens. Brittany, I gave a prophetic word to Dougie. Did you hear it? Okay, well, y'all are supposed to move back to Knoxville. I heard (laughs) God say that in service. So move on back. The mountains are calling. Isn't that like a thing that we put on T-shirts in, in Gatlinburg and Knoxville? Yeah. Get Brittany and them a T-shirt. What's your address? Jamie, take their address down and ship it to them. Amazon it. Um, but historically, we have become institutions that have have kept shame alive. And not only kept it alive, but we fed shame over time. Um. We have made people feel a certain way, not because of biblical truth, but because of personal preference, right? We've made people feel unwelcome, uninvited. And let me let me just go ahead and make you feel really good about yourself. You have all participated in this at some point. Whether you want to admit it or not, you have at some point. And... The the good thing about that is God is good, and he he saw you when you were messing everything up, and he sees you now, and you can move forward from that. But when you go go home today, you're going to take all of your baggage, all of your brokenness, all of your hurt, all of your pain with you, right? And most people who live in your home know all of that stuff about you. Most of them. Sometimes they don't. But church is supposed to be a place where you can come in with all of that stuff, and we know that about you. We know that you have problems, and it not affect the way that we see you, and it not affect the way that we treat you. Listen, I believe that churches must become homes for families, and not museums Full of Christian elitists. Where you come to marvel at how awesome people are in their walk with God. Because what those people aren't telling you is they have problems too. I know them. Right? Can I tell you something? When you get the title of pastor, all of your issues don't just magically disappear. <laughs> it's just a title. It's just what people call you. Right? Right? It doesn't mean that you're any more or less human. Pastors are not superhumans, in case you were wondering, right? We do do have uh, lots of time that we get to spend with Jesus and other people. And we have responsibilities at the church that we get the privilege of doing. It's not that we have to do these things. We actually get to do these. But pastors aren't superhumans. If you've ever met a pastor who presents themselves as a superhuman just wait a minute, just wait a minute, because they're going to get to a breaking point with all of their issues, with all of their problems, and at some point, they're going to break, and when they break, they're going to hurt a lot of people, right, that's why it's so important for not only, you know, I don't just preach that you need to live in community around here, I live in community, I live with other people. I, I do life with other people, right? I, have a, I literally lead a community group. I am on the phone with people who are pastors and leaders probably every day of the week. And so you need to live together with people, and you need to live in relationship with people who know the things that are going on within you. The deep things that you don't want anybody else to know about. You need to live in relationship with those people. And the reason why we continue to have deep things that go on on the inside of us that we hide from everyone is because we have created an institution where nobody feels safe to talk about those things instead of a home where you can talk about all of those things. Right? So... Our response at Hope Unlimited to people who are in pain, to people who are hurting, to people who are broken, has to be Jesus on the beach type responses. When people are hurting, when people are broken, when people feel shameful about all of their decisions, our way of life and the way that we treat people has to be the way that Jesus treated Peter on the beach. When he restored him to everything that he was called to do. Listen. One of the church's problems is that we make people in pain pay for it. We make them pay for it. So like you're hurt. And you're broken. You have issues going on. And because of that. We're going to make you pay for it in a number of certain ways. In, in, in multiple ways. Especially if you want to serve at church. Then we're really going to make you pay for it. Yeah. Because we have to keep an image. Yeah. That protects the brand. Yeah. Instead of that's people first. Yes. Right. I've said this before. I am literally not building a brand. Could care less. Could care less about that stuff. My call as a pastor is not to be a CEO slash pastor, and I do all of the stuff that a CEO would do for a company, and I do the marketing and the branding and the and all of the stuff, and I do all of that stuff, and then I also pastor people. No, that's not even remotely relatable to the New Testament, not even at all, not, not remotely relatable. We've made pastors just content creators, just go create content that your people can can dive into. I am supposed to help. I'm not supposed to do all the work. I'm supposed to help shape and mold us into the image of God. That's my job as a pastor. That's my job when I teach. That's my job when I go and sit down with you and get coffee. That's my job. All of the other stuff is not my job. Quite literally, I'm saying there are certain things that we do That are not my job as a pastor. They're literally not. And I do not. You know what's awesome about this job? I'm the pastor so I get to write my own job description. (laughs) And you know what? All of my board cares about me so they'll approve it. (laughs) Church should be enjoyed. Home should be enjoyed. It should not be endured. You should not have to endure coming to church here on a Sunday morning. You should not have to endure going home. A lot of times, actually, Tom was saying this, Pastor Tom was saying this in Huddle this morning. Sometimes when we think of home, we only have bad images in our head. Right? But if you ever get the opportunity to create your own, like, getaway and hideaway, where everything is right then you really know what home is. It's a place where you're loved and you're relaxed and you feel safe and you can let your guard down and you can be vulnerable, you can be all of those things. But I think that's also the call of the church. I think that's what the church is supposed to be. I think it's supposed to be a home before it's supposed to be an institution with members, right? It's supposed to be a home with families, right? So, um, just a few observations from from this text that I read this morning. Number one, shame makes life hard. Shame makes life way harder than it needs to be. Shame demands that you perform. It demands that you put on a front that's not real. And we live in a culture... Where everything that you see also demands that you put on a front that's not real, right? Instagram, Facebook, all of that stuff, it's not real. It's not real. You are not being your most vulnerable self on that. Even if you are vulnerable on those platforms, you are not being your most vulnerable self. And if you are being your most vulnerable self on those platforms, you need to get some good friends, because if you resort to Facebook to do that, you got bigger issues. We need to have a whole different talk. Yeah. Right? And if you are in this church and you feel like that you need to result to Facebook to do that, I am sorry. We have failed you. Right. All of that stuff is not real. Demands that you perform. Usually, when you feel shameful about yourself you will find yourself going back to a life that is not necessarily following Jesus, but that is very comfortable for you. That is exactly what Peter did after he denied Jesus. He goes back fishing. Peter was a fisherman. He went back to the thing that he knew that he could be successful at. And when he went back to, be succe- he went back to the thing that he knew that he would be successful at, Jesus didn't let him catch any fish. Until he saw Jesus. And a lot of times what shame will do is it will make us withdraw back to things that we are really comfortable doing. But Jesus actually act, actually never asked us to do those things. And he actually called us away from those things. Right? Shame tells you the lie that there is fulfillment in your life apart from Jesus. There's fulfillment in all of these other things. And Jesus really doesn't have anything to do with those things. Listen, just some things about shame. You will always try your hardest and strive the most after your greatest failure. And when you're overwhelmed with shame, you will always try to make up for it. Because you feel the need to prove yourself. You think that you have something to prove to God. You can't do that. That's why Jesus did that. Jesus proved everything about you to God that God needs to know. Everything. Everything that you feel like that you need to prove to God, Jesus already did that. And he did it for you. Right? Listen. Shame will have you trying to live up to standards that God never created for you. It will have you living up to imaginary standards and moral codes that God never set in place for you. And you'll try to hit these goals and hit these marks and hit these targets and you'll miss it every time. You'll never hit the mark. You're even thinking, like, you are target practicing on the wrong range. That's literally a wrong way of thinking about who God is altogether. You will always miss the mark if you're even aiming at the target. If you think that you're supposed to go out there and target practice and hit the mark, you've already missed it. Jesus hit your mark, right, for you. That's good news, Jesus hit the mark for you. And if you are out there trying to hit the mark, you've missed it. You missed it when you walked onto the range. Because you thought that you could do something to prove yourself to God. That's what shame will do to you. It will drive you into that place. And you will feel like a failure over and over and over and over and over and over again. Because you will always miss the mark. Because it's not your target to hit. And it's not your trigger to pull. Jesus did all of that. And shame only breeds shame. It only breeds more shame. It only breeds more shame. You will never get delivered from your sin issues by feeling shameful about them. You will only end up in more shame and a deeper struggle, and a deeper grip, right? Listen, if we want shame to die in our churches, and if we want shame to die in our lives, this is what I'm here to say to you this morning. I have really two short things that I want to say, and then we're going to be done. We need to see Jesus, and we need to live in community. Let me translate that for you. You need an encounter with God, and you need to live in community. You know, we don't just like put the, we didn't just put the mission statement up on the wall out here because it's a cool mission statement. We actually believe those things. <laughs> we don't just put things on the wall because we just, it seems like a good idea. Woo, let's put it on the wall. We actually believe those things. <laughs> Listen, we need to see Jesus and we need to live in community. Just some observations from John chapter 21. Peter was unfulfilled fishing until he saw Jesus. Until he saw Jesus. Let me tell you the beautiful thing about this. Peter was in such a place of pain and hurt. He was in such a place of pain and hurt that he could not see Jesus by himself. Someone else had to tell him that it was Jesus on the beach. And sometimes you are the person who is in the boat fishing like Peter. Peter. And you need someone in your life to point you to Jesus. And other times you're John. And you're taking the people who are hurt, who, are, who feel shameful about themselves, who don't know how to move forward, and you're pointing them to Jesus. That's the beautiful thing about community. Sometimes you're the one broken, and sometimes you're the one whole. But just because you're broken doesn't mean you don't belong. You are just as much a part of this as the person who is completely whole. Peter was just as much a disciple as John was. Peter just was hurt. You know, like we preach that, well, Peter denied Jesus, so he deserved it. And that's where we stop right? That's where we stop. Why do you think Peter denied Jesus? And why do you think that Peter went back fishing? You think he's feeling great about himself out there on the boat? Oh man, I just denied Jesus. I'm going to head on back fishing. No, he was full of shame and guilt. He loved Jesus. And just like we do all the time, we love Jesus. That doesn't mean that we say that we're following him all the time. Our actions say otherwise, just like Peter's actions said otherwise. We're all having that worked out of us. We're all growing and having that formed out of us. But sometimes you're in the place of brokenness, where you need a friend like John to point you to Jesus on the beach. And sometimes you are John. Pointing your friends to Jesus on the beach. Right? Listen, to put it in short, you need an unexpected meeting with Jesus. That's what it means to encounter God. It means an unexpected meeting. I wasn't expecting Jesus to show up on the beach after I denied him. I wasn't expecting Jesus to show up after I had done the things that I know that I'm not supposed to do, I wasn't expecting to Jesus show up in the middle of my divorce. I wasn't expecting Jesus to show up in the middle of my addiction. I wasn't expecting Jesus to show up in the middle of whatever. And he does. And oftentimes we need to ask. What do we do with this? This is what the disciples ask when they had an encounter with God in the upper room. What does this mean and what do we do? You need people around you who to help you navigate that. Right? You need people around you that will point you to Jesus. You see Jesus on the beach. What do we do? What does this mean? Right? Because sometimes you can't see that it's even him. right. Right? You do need a community and a group of people in your life that will not allow you to stay in shame. That will not allow you to stay on the boat fishing. You need that group of people in your life that will tell you, you don't need to stay here. And this is what, this is, what is peculiar about this and very cool. Jesus actually gave him success fishing, he let him catch as many fish as his nets would allow him to. And he was still unfulfilled until he went and sat with Jesus on the beach. Jesus will let you be successful. God will actually even make you successful, right? But it will never scratch the itch of sitting with Jesus on the beach. It will never scratch the itch Of being face to face with Jesus. I know people right now. Who say that they're doing better than they've ever have been doing. They couldn't tell me what his eyes look like though. So it doesn't matter. All success. That isn't defined by Jesus. Is inferior Success. And actually, it's not success at all. It's a delusion of success. It's a way of thinking about success that is literally like, you're not successful, and I don't care how much money you made. Right? That's a fun one. When you start messing with people's money, it just gets odd. Unfortunately, Jesus did that all the time. (laughs) You know, uh, next month we're going to be talking about Jesus and money, and one of the reasons one of the reasons that we do that every single month. You know, Jesus talked about money more than he did anything else, possessions and money and all of that more than he did anything else. Sixteen of Jesus's thirty-eight parables are about money. Right? The word, the actual word for possessions and money. Sidetrack. The actual word for possessions and money is mentioned in the New Testament two thousand times. The word prayer is only mentioned 500, around, approximately. So there's something with money and possessions that Jesus wants us to get, right? We'll talk about that next month. But success is not success if it's done apart from Jesus. And if it's done apart from the community of God, it also is not success. Right? Right? If it's done apart, and I am specifically saying, it's like, Cole, it seems like you're putting an emphasis on church. I am. I am. That's exactly what I'm doing. I am putting an emphasis on belonging to a group of people that you meet with on a regular basis. Do you know why? Because that's the emphasis that the New Testament tells us to put on. We are supposed to put emphasis on being together and gathering together. And if what, whatever is keeping you from doing that, you need to stop doing it. And I don't care how happy you are. It's an inferior level of happiness. You were made for joy and you don't have it. I've talked to you. Happiness comes and goes. That stuff is, it, when things are going good, it's there. When things are going terrible, you're stressed out. You ever meet those people? (laughs) Katie just repented on the front row. She's like, I am that person. (laughs) Might stretch your hands towards Katie. (laughs) I know people who specifically, they'll make every excuse in the world to avoid community, right? They make every excuse in the world to avoid community. And they will never be who God has asked them to be because of it. They will always be a version of themselves that is outside of who God has asked them to be. They will always be Peter who has gone fishing and stayed fishing. doesn't mean God doesn't love them. It just means he's just sitting on the beach waiting on him to come. Because I personally believe that Jesus would have sat there as long as it took. But then also I have a theological belief when you really see him, it doesn't take real long. Right? Last thing. If we're going to kill shame, we have to walk in love and obedience. And I don't mean obedience like, you got to obey God or he's going to cast down judgment on you. Obey him! Right? We have to walk in love and obedience. This is what the great philosopher Dallas Willard said, a disciple is a person who has decided that the most important thing in their life is to learn how to do what Jesus said to do. Abide in me. Right? Live with me. Take up my yoke, for it's easy and light. To Peter it was, feed my sheep. One of the things that you will do that will kill shame in your life faster than anything that you could possibly think of is just doing what God said to do. Jansen, you can come on up. Just doing what He asked you to do. Listen, this is, I love this story because it takes place inside of a group of people. And we don't just love Jesus around here, we also love people, right? We don't just love Jesus we love people I actually had a counseling session with someone this week this is going to blow your mind um I've never actually heard something like this before (laughs) I've heard things similar but nothing ever this out there they told me this they start the conversation and they were just like I love Jesus I was like I know you do like I've never I'm not doubting you I love Jesus I'm like okay and they say this to the point where I've decided I'm gonna go through to my backyard and I'm going to practice running through my fence until my body disappears and I'm on the other side of the fence and when that happens people are gonna wonder how did you do that and I'm gonna tell them it's because I really love Jesus That's not what I'm talking about when we're talking about loving Jesus, okay? That is what we call strange, okay? We just call that strange. I mean, like, at least do something remotely Christian. Like, at least do something like walk down to the hospital and empty it out or something. I'm all for it. But you're talking about running through a chain-link fence and people are going to see God. I mean, that is really one of the strangest things I've ever heard. Maybe. i would have to debate on that for a second. When you grow up in, in, when you are saved in a Pentecostal church and you are saved in a charismatic movement, you see some really strange and hear some really strange things. But I don't know that if I've ever heard someone say before, I'm going to go practice running through a chain link fence so that people can just see Jesus in me. One of the strangest things I've ever heard. We have to walk in love and obedience. Listen, people are not impressed by this hyper spirituality where it's just you and God levitating and running through chain link fences. Right? People are not impressed by that. That is strange. That's weird. People are not going to ask who God is if you do that. They're going to ask what you were on and how they can help if you need to go to an AA meeting, right? They're going to ask all those questions. But they're not going to see Jesus because you disappeared through a fence, right? That would be, honestly, if you figure out how to do that, come tell me because I want to see it, but I don't want to know anything. I don't want to know how you did it. I don't want to know what you sacrificed to be able to do that. I don't want to know. I just want to watch. I'm not impressed by other people's devotion to Jesus unless it involves going back with Peter fishing when he's in his shame. That's what devotion to Jesus looked like. If you want to find, literally follow John all through the gospel. He he has this revelation that he's loved by God. He's always found where Jesus is found He's always found where Jesus is found. And in the moment of his friend's greatest point of shame in his life, he went back fishing with him. Peter didn't convince John to go fishing with him because he was a good leader. Y'all heard that before? Peter just had that leadership gift. They didn't even know what leadership was then. That probably wasn't even a word. If John followed Jesus to the cross... Peter did not convince him to go on that boat with him in rebellion. John went and got on that boat with him because that's where Jesus was. On the boat, even with Peter fishing. And that's where he is in all of our lives. All the time. In the midst of us in our greatest point of rejection and rebellion because of a place of hurt and shame. He goes and gets in the boat with us. That's who Jesus is. And when he gets to the shore, all he tells Peter is, Do you love me? Yes. Then do what I've told you to do. Peter's love for Jesus and what he, were, and what he was supposed to do were intertwined together. They were not separated This is where we miss it about purpose in the church. Your purpose is only found in Jesus. It is not found apart from Jesus. If it is something that is leading you away from Jesus, it is not your purpose. If it is something that is leading you away from the community of God and the fellowship of God here today among us and in us, it is not your purpose. It is not your purpose, and it doesn't matter how successful you are at it. It doesn't matter. Right? So what did we how did shame die in Peter? How did it die in Peter on that beach? It was very, very simple. Jesus asked him the question. Do you love me? Do you love me? Then go do what I've asked you to do. Do you love me? Then go do what I ask you to do. But more than that, it died because Jesus was there on the beach with Peter in the midst of his shame. And Jesus professed his love for Peter And something happened to Peter in that moment. Something happened to Peter in that moment. I think that in that moment, Jesus was being what John Ortenberg was talking about. The quote that I read at the beginning. He was being a place where he could bring all of his baggage, all of his brokenness, and where he did not have to pretend. That's what Jesus was being for Peter, and that's where Peter's shame died. And if we wanna make this a home where families can come and shame can die, we have to be that same thing. We have to be willing to go sit on the beach with people in the midst of their shame. Somebody's just like, hallelujah, I'll go sit on the beach with people in their shame or not in shame. But if people show up here, we have to be willing to do exactly what Jesus did with Peter. Stand to your feet with me. I'm going to read this to you one more time. If there were ever a true just as I am church, if there were ever a community where everyone could bring all of their baggage, brokenness with them. If ever there were a group where everyone loved and no one pretended, we could not make enough room in our buildings. And so this morning, as we pray, you may need to come down to get prayer or to receive prayer. But this is what I want you to do. They're gonna go back into a time of worship and I just want you to take a couple minutes. I'm gonna pray with us. But I want you to literally take all of your baggage. I want you to take all of your brokenness and I just want you to present it to Jesus real unfiltered right i said that one time at a youth camp don't say the word unfiltered at a youth camp because the things that you will hear come out of their mouths jordan me and jordan were talking about this earlier your heart totally open to jesus just for a little bit and they're just going to play amelia looks like she's going to (laughs) sing And we're just gonna have a moment where we can be that for just a moment, okay? So I want you to just lift your hands to Jesus with me all over the room. Father, I thank you for your presence. I thank you that you show up for us just like you did for Peter on a beach. And you come and sit with us in our shame and our brokenness and our hurt and our pain. And you are there for us because we need you. There's nobody like you, Jesus. We are so thankful for your goodness and your mercy. And we're so thankful for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.